and welcome to the Skyscanner Code Voyagers podcast. At Skyscanner, we aim to build new product features quickly, safely, and at scale. In this episode, we talk about how we do that. So here we go with episode two of season two of the Skyscanner Code Voyagers podcast. Okay, um, so this week we are talking with members of the Microservice Shell Squad, and to do that, I've got two members of that team with me, um, and they are? I'm Ashley, uh, I work in the Microservice Shell, I've been here about a year, been at Skyscanner almost a year, um, yeah, I've been in this squad the whole time. And hi, um, my name's Michael, um, I've been at Skyscanner for about six and a half years now, I started as a, a baby intern, uh, and I'm still here now. <laughs> Proper old time. It holds the company. Six and a half years must be most of the company's life, isn't it? Uh, it's, I think no. We're I think uh, what, ten plus years for that actual company. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, it's been. I think that's one of the older ones in Skyscanner. So. Yeah, a veteran. Um, okay, so we're here to talk about um, what your squad does, which is microservice shell. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's start off with what, what is the problem that your squad was put together to solve? So, so in Skyscanner, we had a problem where. Uh, squadification happened and lots of different teams were given autonomy to be able to do whatever they like so write services create services use lang- different languages different frameworks uh, and to kind of just build the code how they wanted to mm-hmm. so the microservice shell was kind of brought together to sort of try and standardize some of that um, the purpose of it is really to okay we've got all these different languages and frameworks and stuff and actually we want to make services look and feel the same around Skyscanner, so that uh, well, there's lots of benefits to that. But we'll, uh, but yeah, that was the main goal. So, so thinking about some of those challenges, then um, you mentioned lots of languages because we gave squads lots of freedom to pick what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how many languages are we talking? So I think uh, we were actually looking at this today, trying to get the data. So like. Core languages in Skyscanner, I think we, you know we're talking like Python, Java, uh, Node, yeah. .NET. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit of Ruby floating around, a little bit of Go, um, and then there's some some more uh, in the dark corners of Skyscanner, I think, yeah. kicking around. <laughs> so you know we're talking like five or six core languages, I think, where you know production systems are regularly built and maintained in. So. Yeah, and then within those languages, there's obviously a lot of diversion in that. So mm-hmm. even take that probably one of the most prominent languages or two most prominent like .NET and Python, but there's lots of different Python frameworks that are being used, lots of different styles of Python, Mm. some people on Python 2, some people on Python 3. There's a lot of divergence even within a language, so that uh, it just increases the complexity. So I guess it gives a a great level of uh, flexibility to the squad as to what they want to do, but I guess along with that comes a lot of fragmentation. Yeah, so it's, it's one of the uh small downsides of uh of like squadification and giving teams autonomy to pick what they want sure developers get a lot of freedom but they uh with lots of freedom comes lots of responsibility and they and like and the the result was that we have a massive divergence in uh, services and products in skyscanner Mm -hmm. and it's uh it's only through uh, letting that happen for an amount of time, maybe three, four years, that actually, actually, this is a bit of a problem is sort of uncovered. Yeah, I think it's definitely been a sort of um, function of scale. So 
it totally made sense uh, when we were sort of, you know, 100 engineers and we wanted to get things out quickly and being able to make that choice and flexibility was fantastic. But now we're, you know, five, six hundred, say, um, where, where that flexibility was the benefit. Now it's, there's, a, there's a repetition on everything you would do without standardization. So mm. there's a lot of wasted time and effort um, across a large group of engineers now, um, which isn't great. And I guess, I mean, we, we quite like people to, to be able to change squads. And I guess every time you change squads, you're then having to think, oh, have I got the right version of Python installed? Have I got the right whatever IDE or framework? Yeah. It, I guess it makes that more friction to kind of change between squad to squad. Exactly. And this is where we come to the real benefits of um, this sort of standardization, this main standardization goal of this microservice shell squad. So with standardized services, you get the services that are all look and feel the same way so that yeah like moving between squads is very easy like you can go and pick up another code base or you can do uh so we have internal open source is very easy because you just look at another you want to you want to do a merge request to another yeah. squad service you well you just look at their code and oh it's exactly the same as the code in my service i totally understand it i can quickly pick it up and and do the do, do a merge request or whatever but there's there's a lot of other um, uh, reasons why this is good because if all services look the same, then we can kind of standardize on lots of different things like resiliency patterns. We can I implement like common core functionality that we want across across all services. Things that make services good design, mm. uh, good uh, good highly scalable. Uh, and we can sort of bake those practices, good practices into every service and not leave it up to every individual mm -hmm. squad to make those sorts of decisions. So I guess, I mean, that, that's the problem is the, the lack of standardization and the, and the kind of uh, speed, uh, the amount of time it takes to get to up to speed was the problem we were trying to solve. So how did you resolve it? Uh, what, what is Microservice Shell now? Is it uh, documentation? Is it just uh, vaporware or built things? <laughs> I know the answer. I know it's yeah. not. But <laughs> I guess in the in the grand scheme of things, it's actually a collection of, of various bits and pieces. So I think the first thing we looked at when when the squad of people were formed was we wanted to tackle how services themselves were sort of put together, um, and that that was very much looking at the languages that were most prominent in Skyscanner and picking. Uh, as Ashley was talking about, there, there, there was a lot of diversity, right? We, so we had to make some decision on what we actually wanted as a, as a pattern. Um, so in the first instance, it was like a, a te almost a template of how to go from uh, empty file to a running service, a, a very basic running service um, that had files that were all named the same, that were, you know, had a very common pattern, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, it sort of, morphed into a collections of uh, like core libraries as Ashley just mentioned mm. um, and patterns so physical like actual code written right to, to automate a lot of the, the sort of operational things that services would need in Skyscanner to run right yeah. like how do we get my logs into our uh, log collection platform mm. um, but I just want that to happen out of the box I don't want to have to write that every single time I create a new service how do I get my metrics somewhere so that I can monitor my service and make sure that it's healthy. Again, I don't want to have to do that every single time. So yeah, I mean, I guess these are like dull problems, but essential problems. And yeah, things that exactly. you don't want to reinvent. Exactly. Every single yeah, time. we're solving yeah. the problems that people don't don't want to have to think about. Like, how do I do my logging? How do I deploy? Uh, how do I get a new service up and running? 
like so one of the most successful things that's come out of this squad was is these template projects so we mm. use a, a a library called cookie cutter uh which allows you to uh basically clone a new a new project um and input some input variables like the name of your project uh the squad that's creating it whatever like a, a bunch of different parameters there's only like five or six different ones and then it will then create you the template of that project with everything good to go like it's ready to deploy to production like so the time it takes to get to get like a service uh like from nothing to cloned and on your machine and then you just get it you might add some code get push and then it's on production that's like five to ten minutes and that was always our goal so by, well, by production do you mean up into a, an aws instance or yeah, so this could yeah in in this sense, it's rare that people would deploy straight to a live production site. So mm. We typically deploy to sandbox uh, uh, account, which is yeah, it's AWS. So we're deploying by one of our own internal uh, uh, open source tools, Slingshot, to AWS. Um, but yeah, that's it's all tightly coupled with um, with those technologies, so that it's ready. So when you get a project, is ready to go straight uh, out to the uh, AWS uh, account that we have. And I guess the great thing there is that, um, because it's the right shape from the very moment you start the project, you don't have to worry about how do I bundle it and all that kind of stuff. I guess that's a lot of that's taken care of you. Yeah, you? exactly. So things like building, uh, you know, like packaging up your... Uh, your library and stuff like that, uh, your application, that's all That's all done for you. So we heavily use lots of, uh, heavily opinionated on the tools that we use. Um, so uh, services uh, use Docker. We've got select amount of frameworks and languages that we support. It's Python, it's Java, uh, and now Node.js, uh, and then a, a, a different frameworks for each of those. Uh, and we're trying to yeah make it easy to use like those frameworks and create services so that's interesting so you mentioned python java node.js and michael at the start you mentioned a huge list of other languages yeah. so i guess how did we focus in on on those three i guess i think at the very start we um had a bit of a an interesting time i think we were to be we were uh, a bit of a crowd pleaser at the very start of um <laughs> of yeah. our adventure in um, exactly. as an mshell team um we, we kind of took the approach that we knew there was lots and lots of services in Skyscanner. We knew rough languages, so I mentioned, what, like maybe seven there. We knew that Python, Java, uh, and at the time .NET um, were predominantly what most things were built on. Um, so we went, great, we know what we're building, uh, and fired on with that. Um, and then, as Ashley's just alluded to there again, we you know within those languages, there were a couple of frameworks, and uh, people wanted synchronous frameworks and asynchronous frameworks for different workloads that mm. they were doing. Um, I think within about six months, we found that while we had delivered a lot of value, we had done a lot of these templating, we had uh, solved a lot of the common problems on how to operate stuff in Skyscanner, we now had a lot to maintain and we had a, mm. a large roadmap, right? Like we, had mm. lot, we have lots that we want to do, so we couldn't just say we're done now um, and we certainly couldn't carry on in that way. So it's we been a bit of a journey for us and how we narrow that down, I think, to what is really valuable at Skyscanner and, and how you then make those decisions on this is what I'm going to support and why. So if you've got a, if you've got a team that ha, have written a service in a framework or in a language and then you as a core 
squad in the company then go and say to the whole company we're not supporting that language or we're not supporting <laughs> that framework it's a real problem like people are really like and especially software engineers are very opinionated about these sort of things why are you not supporting my language my framework this is the best you know this is the future this sort of thing you know people go right so it's been a very hard hard thing for us to do and it's a cultural thing that that's been the hardest mm-hmm. that's been the hardest so we actually we probably made some mistakes like uh, mike suggested we were a bit of a crowd pleaser we you know in our first inception we probably just looked at the fram- frameworks and languages that are mostly in use and we kind of said okay yeah let's support those mm. um and we probably su- we probably uh supported too many um and now we're sort of paying the price and we're trying to cut that down even more but it's it, it is hard to do as a as a big like bang it's you sort of do it in stages like okay we're not will reduce the uh, uh, support for all this divergence uh, as uh, as time goes forward even so even with this like um uh, stand uh, focus on standardization you're still in a position where people because we've got squadification people can just go rogue and do whatever they want <laughs> they don't have to use our template projects or whatever and that happens and that genuinely happens and um, so yeah. I think the political term would be uh, they they can innovate if they want, yeah. not go rogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, mean, I guess this is the thing. I mean, they can they could start with your cookie cut project, and then I guess they can add in frameworks if they want. But I guess they lose some of the the benefits of continuing to use Microsoft Shell. It's kind of yeah. It, it, I guess you guys aren't trying to say standardize because we know best. I guess it's standardize and then you kind of reap the benefits of of everyone using the same set of tools, kind of shared learnings. It's not yeah. one of the yeah exactly i mean so it's kind of a the 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 opinion that um if if one squad is trying to solve a problem it's uh, most of the time it is the case that another team has probably got that problem so as soon as two people have have got a problem then it should be or two mm-hmm. services or whatever in this case two squads uh you should probably uh, make that a common thing that everyone can benefit from is, is there a danger of um, Microsoft Shell becoming, uh, I don't know this carefully, not bloatware, but <laughs> how, how do you decide if a library is or isn't worth including in, in the Microsoft Shell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really. It's, it's a very. It's it's difficult because I guess like from yeah. from what you actually were saying there, you you know you have two squads, similar problem. Okay, so clearly you want you want to collaborate, you want to share a solution there, um, and that might be right. Some code and share between the two of them, but two two I guess two squads doesn't mean the whole of engineering. You know, does mm-hmm. that mean fifty squads should have that? Well, possibly not. It might just be that that was there or there. And um, I think we, as an M shell squad, are trying to focus in on what will make reliable production worthy services. So. I guess things around operability, resilience. Um, how do I make sure that I don't get called at two a.m. in the morning because something's gone wrong mm-hmm. that shouldn't have? Um, mm-hmm. And where it fits the bill for that, yeah. that's fine. Um, I think higher level things or um, product things that can be shared have a place, but are not within us. So we're, I think we're kind of more in that realm. Is, is that fair to say? Do you think it's very hard to get right. Um, that we've kind of. We we're lucky in that we sense that we've got a mandate to be opinionated from leadership. Like it's uh, we 
we pick a framework we do due diligence and research on like you know a particular library in a framework or whatever uh like let's say for example the uh the logging library to use in node.js there is no sort of one set standard um we've arrived at winston but there that there are more different people in the organization have different opinions on this it's the same in Java. There's log4j, SLF4j, logback. We've arrived at a decision, um, but uh, it's it, it's not necessarily uh, the uh, an easy thing to do. And just communicating that out is just the it, is what we we struggle with and what what we've uh, yeah. It's the benefit of shared knowledge, I guess, isn't it? It's um, if someone does something and I should have muted my computer. <laughs> it's not my computer going ping every time it agrees with me. That's that's how I've set up for recording. Um, it's that benefit of, of shared knowledge, I guess, isn't yeah. it? We're, we're big teams, um, lots of good, experienced engineers. So try and harness that knowledge, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean, big teams and, and global teams, which mm. I think is. Uh, subtle but is a big problem as well there's some like awesome things that are being done in other offices and you generally wouldn't necessarily know because um, communication is really difficult as well mm -hmm. as a, that's probably a whole separate topic yeah. but um, this way we can at least start tying the sort of really core things that will make good services in Skyscanner they'll be available to everyone and, and be a bit more public in the company I think on how these are shared around so mm. yeah yeah Cool. Um, so I guess um, when the squad formed and you were building the, the first instance of Microsoft Shell, um, so I guess you, you did you make like a hello world to begin with to kind of show off its capabilities? Yeah, essentially, that, yeah? essentially that's what it was. Yeah. So so how did you go from having your hello world to convincing another squad that instead of rolling their own, I thought I muted that instead of rolling their own, they should um, use Microsoft Shell instead of. Uh, just building their own stuff. How? What was your sales pitch to convince people? Well, I mean, uh, some some effective salesmen shit like, but uh, you know, good PowerPoint slides of the vision and stuff <laughs> like that. Generally, what genuinely was so, you know, you're trying to get people on board by showing them the benefit, you know, and uh, getting early adopters. So you, so you pitch a vision of where you want to be. Right? Imagine mm. a world where every skyscanner service is all all identical they're all super resilient everyone like communi communication between services is seamless uh it hooks into you can deploy in five minutes hooks into the data platform everything so on and so forth you pitch all these like vision type things and you say okay yeah now here's what we're doing to get to that goal and you just sort of say well okay and you get early adopters because you uh and you get the more and more people you get, it sort of snowballs. Because mm. uh, once you know you get a bit of a reputation, like oh, you know, yeah, you just get an M shell project and it'll start up or whatever. So, one of the great ways we found to get people onboarded was do the um, when you get uh, uh, new starters, they come in and they have like an induction process. And part of the induction process is uh, create a new service and you know deploy it and oh, I can see it running and whatever else. Mm. So we tapped into that, and that was a great way to get people on board because now everyone new joining the company is now getting in front of, oh, this is how you do service development. This is how you create a new service and whatever. So immediately it's embedded in their mind that they use these tools and they use these products or whatever uh, to, to, ch to create new services. Uh, so the, the veterans, uh, that, that's the more difficult sell. 
the ones who you know I've been working here for five years I'm working on my service my framework it works why should I change that's the difficult sell I mean I think one of the first times I saw Shell end to end was when you did it at the the company demo Um, because I think what what was it you demoed again I'm trying to remember was which company demo Um, was that so I think you basically took you did the whole world I think on stage in front of the entire company essentially didn't you but so that was ah so that was uh, that wasn't me but um, it was Stuart Davidson. Oh, so um, oh, sorry. Yeah. But yeah, so the, but I would happily take the credit. For that. <laughs> uh, he very courageously stood up at our company demo in front of several hundred people and did a live demo, which is always a bit dodgy. Hmm. Um, yeah, it, it was essentially it was a, it was a Java Drop Wizard Hello World app, um, and he on stage made a change to basically instrument like a, a new API endpoint. It had some metrics uh, which somehow automatically appeared because <laughs> of MShell. Um, hit the, the, hit, committed it to Git, um, and that goes through our pipeline. So that was eventually just deployed into AWS while he was um, sort of waving his hands on stage. Uh, and then he gave a link uh, on stage and had everyone basically like snap it on their phone, hit that endpoint that he just created, which was just like a hi, thanks for uh, hitting this. Uh, but then behind them, we had dashboards, operation dashboards, that then started pouring in all these metrics of how many people were hitting that endpoint, mm. how much successful, all this kind of stuff. Um, and that's quite simple in a way, but really powerful to be able to see like what have I actually just done there in mm-hmm. a, a really short space of time. Um, and I think from doing that as well, we, it's kind of like um, you're kind of making a bit of a promise to adopters, right? You're saying like, okay, so this is what you get to do. Mm-hmm. But in six months' time, this is what you're going to get. But don't worry, because you're on the track of MShell now, um, all this stuff will just be given to you really easily. You're not going to have to work for it. You're not going to have to understand how to roll it in. Yeah. You've, you're going to be able to just focus on delivering really cool products. But we we will make sure that all the new features that you're going to get because you've signed up to MShell will be streamlined in. Um, and that's how it works now. Like I guess that's the thing, isn't it? You kind of want people to be... It. You, you want people to be excited about, oh, the next release notes has come out for MShell, what am I getting for free now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly. definitely like the goal. And, and we do release things and just say to people, right, that's it now available for use. Um, just go and do it. And, and a lot of them, time, they, they'll be updating regularly. Um, if they're the, the good users, they're constantly yeah. updating. And then they can just they can start, okay, great, I've got credential management now, or mm. okay, I've got experimentation or, or whatever else. So. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a bit of a carrot for them as well. Internal blogging has been useful. Slack, like automated Slack messages where a Slack bot and stuff has been good. Uh, letting people know when there's new features and stuff. Um, and we're getting to the stage now where people are starting to um, create feature requests for things and even do those mer- like merge requests themselves. Like, oh, I noticed that it didn't do this thing so I added it in and and, 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 and I thought other people would benefit from this so I, I, I created a merge request and did it in so put it in so we see that uh, we see that quite a lot and that's that's yeah a sign that it's really like getting traction um, mm-hmm. and so yeah that's a, that's success like from our point of view mm-hmm. do, do you keep metrics yourselves as to how many um, M shell services we have out there yeah so we, we have uh, we're working on a tool at the minute called surveyor uh, now this tool is essentially uh, a, a, a Git uh, scanning um, tool that periodically runs uh, each night um, and gathers metadata about all of the Git projects uh, that we have in Skyscanner. And some of these projects are services, some are not. But uh, essentially, we can go through 
all the projects and check like what they're using, what dependencies they're using, uh, you know, whether they're deployed to production services, whether they're just like personal projects and so on and so forth. So we're really trying to understand uh, all, all of the code that we've got in, in Skyscanner. Um, turns out that it's a bit of a mess. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of projects like that, you know, are not touched anymore, need to be archived and stuff like that. But that, but that's important knowledge to know because then, mm. then we can make decisions or reach out to people say like, hey, do you need this project anymore? This is taking up, you know, uh, space in our like Git repository or whatever, you know, uh, uh, or it's, it's slowing down our, our, our servers or whatever else. Uh, the same happens for our artifactory instance. Uh, so we, it's full of tons and tons of artifacts. And there's a question like, are these all being used? Mm. Uh, are some of them are like so old, so stale, they're not even used anymore. Can we clear it out? Like these are these are things that we want to do as part of uh, of mm-hmm. part of this tribe. Yeah, it's been massively like useful. And, and I guess the other side is we've got that data, but then we can attach like a dashboarding to it, and mm. we can see over time how adoption of particular things have happened or say uh, we're on version four of something um, we can see that there's still version ones kicking around that are super old we know who's using that we can go to them and go you know do you know what you're missing out on mm. can we help you know was there any reason um so it it's great in that it helps us keep on top of what's being used and we know what's out there but then on the flip side for the rest of Skyscanner there's a lot of really valuable information for other squads in there so it's it's been a really good tool to to have and a satisfying graph is always good when you see a line going up and yeah. you see people's like they're using your stuff right yeah. that's, that's always quite good so so get, gaining the knowledge of what like what is out there what's being used that that has so many use cases but you hinted at one of them just there Mike was that you know we can see what versions that people are using. So if we uncover a serious security flaw in one of our third-party libraries or, or our own code, uh, or or we just, uh, there's a bug and we, we need to force people to upgrade and stuff. We need that knowledge. And how is that done currently? Like actually at the minute, it's probably just an email, like high importance email. You know, if you're using this product, please read on, yeah. you have to upgrade. Like that's how it's being con- co- done currently. But we're sort of thinking, well, you know, if we could have this tool, we could automate it. Like, you know, you could know, oh, the, all these services are using this this uh, this particular version. So send an email directly to them or or better yet, like automatically create a merge request and tell them this is this is an important update. Create a merge request yeah. into their library to update the version. Uh, they, like, this is the sort of things that we're thinking about. Yeah, and having that standardization in MShell means that you can do these kind of automatic mm-hmm. updates because you don't, you know, you know the format of a file, you know how things plug together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you probably couldn't do it if it was an ad hoc project that everyone had done slightly differently. So that's another benefit that we're kind of getting, that we, the maintainability that you can start automating as well when you've got a more standards mechanism for people to use, which is yeah, great. exactly. It makes our job easier. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think, it, you know, as engineers, we just want to try and automate uh, as much as possible, but... It's kind of like don't automate yourself out of a job, basically. But uh, but you know, try and do as or much. Do, get the computer. Do automate yourself out of a job and get a promotion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it sounds like I mean, it adds lots of great features. The the speed of development it sounds like it helps. Um, have you found that there's been a a, a mind shift to to use MShell, not just the kind of like technology of follow these step by step commands to use it, but do you find that it's changed how people approach building their code as well? I think that 
people uh if they want to do like a little proof of concept um they use they use mshell all the time like we see this uh constantly so you might have like a new squad that have got a desire to build a new service and you're fine they're going to use this to start up and they want to build this build the service and get going but one of the uh the side effects that we didn't envisage is that people use this stuff to do their kind of little personal test little experiments so they might be like oh i want to just try out this new library that know some someone that's been released by Google or whatever I don't know like and then they're gonna they're gonna use like mshell in order to get something out like deployed and up and running so they can like test something out and we see this quite a lot so it's changing the mindset that people are like oh because it's easy and because it's fast to get something out there and like testable in like a sandbox or a production environment people jump on it so it's like about reducing the friction and making things easy for people because uh, developers I think are just quite kind of lazy like they want to just they want stuff to be done quite quickly and and, and and easy right and then so they can focus on like writing the code that they want like the business logic mm-hmm. or whatever or their proof of concept code and that yeah I think like another example of, of that similar to what you've said Ashley was um Previously, like we like we have hack days at Skyscanner, we have done, we always kind of have. Um, but how much uh, impact you can make um, on hack day really depends on how much you can get done, right? And you can have the best ideas and stuff, but realistically, what you'd love at the end of it is to have something that you go, oh, that that's that's a product idea. Um, I'd love to try this out with real users and put it out. Uh, and previously, like that was really difficult to do in a day. Mm. Um, and so people didn't really think about how could I could I innovate a little product tw- even just a tweak yeah. how, how or you could get that. it done and it runs on your laptop yeah. but yeah. nowhere else something to and... show but nothing else um, and like as product developers I guess it's kind of like we don't we, we're kind of tuned out of that a little bit and unless we had sort of large dedicated amount of time but these sort of M shell things now um, because of the there's now frictionless to create mm. these things somebody can realistically sit down in an afternoon and say I've got uh, I, really, I want to change something in the sky's kind of product um, they can fire up a, a new service. Realistically, we have it in AWS, like on the internet somewhere um, within like 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, okay, now I'm actually just going to tweak the thing that I want to change. And by the end of it, they could, they, you know, what has happened is somebody's done that and then they've gone, well, we're going to roll that into our actual sprints worth of work. We're going to just, you know, polish it a bit and then let's run as an experiment mm-hmm. in Skyscanner. And that was, that's a bit of a, a mind shift on how you do product building as well, I think. So it, it wasn't really. Yeah. I guess we hadn't initially thought of it like that, but that's how we're also seeing it. So yeah, it that's, really helps. That's really kind cool. of rapid development of ideas, yeah. and yeah, you haven't sunk any lost time if it turns out to be a bad idea. Yes, it, exactly. It's kind of like you don't feel like you've wasted a lot of time. You've tried something. If it's success, great. If it's not success, no. that's it's exactly totally right. Because this, we kind of in our agile world, we talk about like rapid product development, but we're not really very rapid on changing what we want to build like the big picture plans like you know as a business we want to build like i don't know sky scanner that's a big thing right that you want to build it's not very rapid you don't rapidly change okay i'm going to change from sky scanner to something totally different a different website but what this has enabled us to do is to actually those bigger picture feature things that you thought were like okay this is six months work uh you can actually you know test out if you're building the right thing very very quickly because you're increasing your speed to develop to get things to market 
and then you can change uh, and, and that's it that's what it's all about it's about the, the your your ability to change and and because it's a fast-paced ma- um, uh, market mm-hmm. sounds good so what's what's next for Shell? so it sounds like you're already uh, adding lots and lots um, to the product but w- where does it go next um, so sort of current things we're looking at I guess is um, around so we're kind of on a bit of a pronged approach to our squad is kind of separate a little bit just now while we focus on a couple of things so uh, how do we make um, like experimentation in yeah. services I'm going to say experimentation we also mean configuration at this point um, how do you make that really simple how can I make a change dynamically to a running service that lets me test uh, some hypothesis about how it's running um, and do that out of the box and really simply. Um, I mean, experimentation is used heavily in Skyscanner, but traditionally mm-hmm. more on front-end services. Um, we want to have that everywhere, right? Front-end, back-end, client-side, whatever. So we're focusing on a bit of that just now. Um, yeah, yeah. so every, every like every change that you do is you can be treated like an experiment. So yeah. a tiny little, tiny little thing in your back-end code, like, I don't know, the timeout, you want to test if that has an effect, like it improves the uh, the speed or performance of your service. You know, I want to change this from three seconds to one second and see if it has any detrimental effect. So I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it for 1% of users and I'm going to monitor my service with metrics and see see if that made a difference, if it improved things. So that's one of the ways, one of the things that we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other piece is around um, that we're trying to do is make these these projects are pretty bare bones at the minute so they've got a bunch of core libraries and some core functionality that we want all services to have but we want to extend and on that functionality and make it uh make uh services essentially uh resilient uh we want to do like service discovery we want to do a whole bunch of things that are still slightly painful to do just to make it even easier it's all about increasing the velocity of which you can create and build a service so th- there's lots of work to be done, uh, and and that's where we're heading. Cool. So we've heard lots of good stuff about MShell, and so probably really shouldn't be handing on a downer. But <laughs> um, what has gone wrong? Because I'm sure stuff has gone wrong as you've as you've gone through this. What what's been challenging about this? So I mean, one of the things is that we are effectively like a central point of failure. So if you've got a template project and all the all the services say like you know so businesses go moving towards microservice architecture you can have thousands of microservices and they're all built on a single framework yeah it's great because if you've got a new feature you can push that out to a thousand different people and they create it <laughs> if you've got a bug it means a thousand people have got that bug you very efficiently distributed that bug yeah <laughs> exactly so it's you know it, again it's with good with great power comes great responsibility the the amount we realize the amount of uh, quality and due diligence that needs to go into these core libraries. And so we spend a lot more time developing features uh, by like code reviewing, extensive testing and stuff like that than, than perhaps other people. So we, we do the pain, we do the painful uh, kind of work making sure something is tip top quality before it goes out. Um, uh, so that others don't have to. Uh, I mean, I guess that re- reduces the duplication of testing on something, though. I mean, like if you guys have rock solid tested a, a metrics framework or something like that, we're not having twenty teams do that same bit of testing, I guess. And that's exactly right. But of course, um, 
we all know that nothing nothing is perfect and and these things do come in so i think with shift the shift to a, an an internal open source culture is where we're sort of heading so yes we are a central team but we're not entirely responsible for this shared code mm-hmm. um it, we want joint responsibility uh and yeah there's bugs we'll jump on them and fix them as soon as possible but if you've spotted one you know feel free to fix it uh, mm-hmm. that sort of thing Okay, uh, cheers like that. That's really interesting chat. Um, if you would, if you're listening to this and you would like to work with M Shell, then we are hiring. Um, which I thought was a very good segue. I'm quite happy <laughs> with that. Um, we can look at skyscanner.com/jobs. Uh, there's lots of positions there, and if you email uh, codevoyagers at skyscanner.com, uh, that'll fast track any applications. We'll make sure they get sent to the to the right people. Um, if you've got any feedback or any questions about anything we've talked about, then at us on Twitter, it's at CodeVoyagers, and there'll be a blog post on CodeVoyagers.com to go along with this. Um, so yeah, so that's us. Thanks very much, and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Bye. 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 Bye.